Let me make one more announcement before I get in my message this morning. Uh, next Sunday night, uh, next Sunday night, uh, we're going to have sort of a special service, and that is that John Higgins, who is a John, who's over our finances here, uh, but he's, John is also a CPA. Also, Mike Cottle, who is a CPA here in town, is going to be with us. And what that whole meeting is going to be about, we're going to talk about finances. Not finances, how much you're giving to the church, whatever. But I'm very concerned. I'm concerned about our banks talking about going cashless. What does that mean for you? If you have money at home, most of us usually keep a little money at home. Will that mean, what does that mean for that money? What does it mean? Does that mean simply that you, if we do this and we go to this, does that mean simply that, uh, that you, you get so much per dollar or whatever? I don't know. I know that right now, one of the things that's really happening, you keep an eye on Saudi Arabia right now. Because in Saudi Arabia, they're talking about doing away with the dollar. If Saudi Arabia does away with the dollar, we're going to be in the same shape that Greece is. Greece has, for years, had financial problems, and they've had to go to the European Union to try to ask to print more money. They tell them whether they can print it or not. The only thing that the difference in us and Greece for the last few years has been, we can print more money. But guess what that does to your dollar? It makes it go down. You don't have the, you don't have the power of the dollar. So, so we're going we're gonna to have a Q&A. We're going to let those guys that have some expertise in finance talk to us about what they think is happening and what will it mean to you if that does take place. All that we're trying to do is try to give you enough stuff that you can be prepared if those kind of things begin to happen. So that'll be Sunday night, and that service starts at what, 6? Yeah, it starts at 6 o'clock. All right, all right. Well, I try to find something, you know, that fits into what I've been going through and everything else, and there was a mechanic who was uh, re removing a cylinder head from a motor of a motorcycle when he spotted a well-known heart surgeon in his shop. And the surgeon was waiting for the service manager to look at his bike. Uh, the, the mechanic shouted across the garage, Hey, Doc, can I ask you a question? And the surgeon, a bit surprised, walked over to the mechanic who was working on a motorcycle. And the mechanic straightened up and wiped his hands and said, So, Doc, look at this engine. I open its heart, take its valves out, fix them, put them back in, and when I finish, it works just like new. So how come I get such a small salary and you get the really big bucks when you and I are doing basically the same thing? Surgeon paused and smiled and leaned over and whispered to the mechanic, try doing it with the engine running. <laughs> All right. All right, I want you to turn, if you will, and uh, I want to start a series of messages on back to basics. And I, I, I want to skip back to some things that I think we need to hear. And, and today, I, one of the most basic things that we can do is go back and begin to elevate the cross where it should be. And so I want you to hear this. And I want you to turn, if you will, over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. And I want you to compare the... I want you to, as we read these verses, I want you to think about what Paul is writing to, but I also want you to think about the day and time that we live in right now. So listen to what it says. Paul says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness. Is that not true? It is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where the wise, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise are according to the flesh, not many mighty or many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But to him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and the righteousness and the sanctification and the redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, I need you today, as I always do. And Lord, the older we get, the more we realize how much that we need you every moment. That we can, of ourselves, Jesus tried to tell us this, but we didn't really listen to it. And he told us that we, without him we can do nothing. And the truth of the matter it is. That's, that's where most of us, Father, right now are in trouble. Because we've taken out on a path that we've not asked you to be with us all the time. But Lord, how I need you. I need you this morning. And so, Lord, I pray simply may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength. You're our redemption. You're everything, Father. I can't do this. I <laughs> Lord, I can't do it in strength. I ask for your strength. I, I claim what Psalms 41 says, that the Lord is my strength. And, and so, Lord, I ask you to be my strength this morning, physically and mentally and every other way. But, Lord, I also ask you to just, my words be your words. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, be with us today. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, when I talk to you about back to basics, what does that mean? We're living in a time in which people talk about the emerging church. You hear a lot about this. You hear a lot about this. This is, this is almost the same thing back years ago. There was a, what, what, years ago, there was a search, what they call the search for the historical Jesus. And then, and then there was also a time not just probably maybe less than 10 years ago, that we also had a time that was called uh, the Jesus Project. And this is where a bunch of uh, theological liberals got together and they thought they could find the historical Jesus. What they wanted to try to do, they wanted to try to separate Jesus from all of his miracles. 
Yet Jesus one time said, he said this to his disciples. He said, if I don't do these things, the miracles, if I don't do these things, don't believe who I am. You can't separate him from love. But they tried it, and they, they were color-code if they thought this was real, if this was not, until eventually they were hoping to be able to, of course they failed, but they were hoping to take everything and bring it all out and take away all the miracles and everything else, and there was saying, gee, they couldn't do it. Because you cannot do it. And in this day of the emerging church, we need to get back to basics. And in getting back to basics, what, what Paul wrote to Timothy once, he said that in the last days, listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, now the Spirit expressively says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now I want you to notice something here. He mentions here that I want you to, he said, you're going to depart. There are going to be those that will depart from, notice what it says, the faith. It doesn't say, it doesn't say they'll depart from faith. It says the faith. Because we got people that talk about faith. They talk about what, whatever, you know, that, well, God's told me to do this, this kind of thing, whatever else. And they don't really understand that faith comes from where? Faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So, you, yes, we need faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. But by the same token, faith comes by the Word of God. It's not a blind leap out in here into nothingness. It's based upon the solid, everlasting Word of the Word of God is what it is. And so, in, in this time that we do this, the Spirit tells us that expressly in those days there will be people that will come away from the faith. Well, what is the faith? The faith is basically the incarnation, the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. It is, the, it, it, it is Jesus, uh, it, it, is, it is simply Jesus as he was, was born of a virgin, which some many, many guys coming out of seminary now are saying, well, they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in the second coming of Jesus. No, listen, the, his, the faith is that Jesus was born of Mary the Virgin. Because if he wasn't born of a virgin, he, can't, he, can't, he has no capability of taking away the world's sins. So it's the, the virgin birth. It is the miracles that Jesus did. It is also not only that, it is, it is the crucifixion of Jesus, the cross. It is the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, it is the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. And which those men said, this same Jesus is coming in like manner. He's coming back. That's the faith. And when those come to you and try to tell you something that is contrary to those facts, they're telling you something that is not true. And so we go by the faith. So this morning, as we do this, I want us to look at the cross. I want us to look at the cross. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and to the world. God forbid, Paul saying, I shouldn't boast except in what? In one thing, in the cross. But here's the truth. The truth is, Every single solitary person that's sitting here right now, God gave you a cross. Every young person here has a cross. Every older person has a cross. We have a cross. Now, what kind of cross is it? Every time I read John 19, 17, which says simply, and he went, and, and, he, and here's what it says. This is, he's, he's, Pilate has turned him over to the, the, 
the, the, uh, the guards, and they're taking him on to Golgotha, and listen to what it says. It says, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called Hebrews in Golgotha. Now, i got to tell you something. Every time I've ever read that scripture, the thought has occurred to me, that's not really true. Because that wasn't his cross. It was mine. Jesus never did one single solitary thing in his life that was wrong. He never had a bad thought in his life. It's not his cross he was bearing. It was my cross. It was all the things I've done wrong. It's all the, the filth and everything else that was in my life. He took all that on him just like he took the whole world upon him. And he bore that cross to Golgotha. That's what he did. Whenever I, I read this, that's what I think. I think it's not his cross, it's mine. Now Jesus told us something in Luke 9, 23. He says this, he says, If anybody desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me daily. That's what it says. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, let me ask you something. When, when, when you read that, what do you think of? Do you think of the old rugged cross? Is that it? The old rugged cross we take? Because I don't think that's our cross. Because you see, what I really realize, the cross that Jesus bore, nobody else could have bore that cross. Moses one time looked at Israel and he actually asked the, asked the Lord, let him die in the place after Israel had sinned with the, with the golden calf. And they said, no. God said no to him. He couldn't. Why? Because he wasn't perfect. It took, it, it took an absolute perfect sacrifice to die for. So the cross of Jesus, yes, yes, in, in his substitutionary death, and when I gave my heart and my soul to Jesus, and I said, Lord, I can't save myself. There's nothing, there's nothing that I can do to save myself. And when I, when I did that as a result of that, excuse me, if I did that, then as a result of that, it was, I, he substituted Jesus in my life. And he bore all my sins. But is that the cross that Jesus is talking about? I'm not for sure that it is. I know the substitutionary death, the, the, the death of Jesus, and he took my place. But the truth is, when you and I came to Jesus... And we said to him, I want to follow you, Lord. He gave you a cross. And, and I, I don't know whether you recognize that that cross is there, but it is. I mean, I, I, you know, we come to Jesus, we get saved, and then we just live our life totally independent of God. No, that's not it. Now, Peter asked him a question over in, over in, in uh, Mark 10, verse 28. Listen what it says. And Peter said, began to say to him, because the storyline story here is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had come to Jesus, and he said, you know, good master, what must I do to be saved? Jesus gives him five things to do that. And he said, then, but go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And what he, the Bible says he went away sorrowfully. And Jesus then says, he says, how hard it is for those that have riches or whatever to come into the kingdom of heaven. And Peter asked him this question. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. 
Lord. And Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake. He goes on to verse 30. Who shall not receive a hundredfold, now this time houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers and children and lands? That's what he says. Now, if you go on down here and read the last part of that, in the age to come, and then it says eternal life. So in other words, you cannot, listen, guys, I don't believe in prosperity preachers. But by the same token, God says, he that gives, it will shall be given unto him. So God's going to bless you. Let's just face it. God's going to bless you. If, you. if you give your heart and soul to Jesus and you try to do what's right and live right and run your business right and everything else right with him, he will bless you. That's just a counterfeit. Okay? Now, your blessings may not come in this life, though. Because notice this. It says, with, it says in the age to come, eternal life. So, in other words, it comes to eternal life. Okay? So, in other words, some of the blessings we're going to get and some of the things we need to realize won't happen until what? Till we get home one of these days. That's the third chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Where all our works are going to be tried by fire. And we're going to be blessed. And, and, and some people say, well, now, Lee, I didn't give you all this one. Uh, I, you know, I really don't believe in rewards. I don't believe God's rewards. Well, let me just share it with you. If you don't believe in rewards, listen to what it says um, uh, in the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation. Because it says there, Behold, I come quickly. Uh, and, and then he goes on to say, Jesus, he says, uh, okay, here we go. Verse 12, 22, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give. So, yep. See, we're saved by grace, by what Jesus did at Calvary. But the works, or do works and what we do, how we live our life, is that important? Yes, it is. And we almost stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. That's a sermon for another time. But here's the thing. I want you to notice something else on this. I want you, I want you to go, go back to uh, Mark 10 and verse 30. Go back to it. See, you've been, given a, you've been given a cross. And as you follow Jesus, he's told you, if you that we are to... Take up our cross and follow him daily. I want you to, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands? But notice what else it says. What does it say? With what? Persecutions. What does that mean? I mean, there, you, it means you're not, you're not going to have an easy road to hole here because you're following Jesus. You're going to be persecuted because you follow Jesus. You cannot help but pick up your cross and follow him and the world say, oh man, that is wonderful. You know, and you're starting to see it more and more. In the 1970s, you tell somebody you're a Christian, hey man, that's tremendous. We ought to get together and start a Bible study. You know? Tell them you're a Christian today and see what they say. You may be called a terrorist. Who knows? So what am I saying? I'm saying as, you, as God has given you a cross, as you pick it up, and you begin to follow him. So what is that cross? What is that cross? And let me ask this question. When does that cross arrive? Or when does it appear in your life? Well, here, here it is. If you go over to, remember when Jesus was, uh, he was baptized. And this is in Mark 1. And he was baptized. And when he does, he, he, is, he is baptized. And the Bible says that the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended down. 
and a voice was heard out of heaven. The Holy Spirit was descending on him, and it says, and it says simply, This is my blessed, beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, what a great thing. Well, listen to what the next verse says. Next verse, go, go back to 112 there, if, you, if it's up there. Uh, and, and so what does it say? And it says, immediately, well, they don't have it up there. I guess it's gone. Okay. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Here's his cross. Immediately, he drove him into the wilderness. Now, if you're reading out of NIV, NIV says, at once. You can be having a great day. And all of a sudden, your cross will show up. You can, be, you can be living your life, and boy, everybody just thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And all of a sudden, here comes the cross. I'm serious. This is following Jesus. It's not going to be easy. And I believe in this day and time, one of the reasons I'm preaching this is because in this day and time that we live in, it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. Why is it going to get worse? Because Jesus said it was going to get worse. Amen? So, what's the cross? You know, what is that cross? What is the cross? It might, it might be, the, is it the cross you die upon? Well, it possibly could be that. But the truth of the matter is, most of us, the cross that we're going to have to bear or whatever is not going to be a cross that's going to take our life. But it may take your reputation. It may be a cross that you're going to make your family mad. It may be a cross that when you're in Walmart... And somebody cuts you off or somebody does something to you, whatever, rather than you getting up and going nuts or mad, that may be your cross. And the Holy Spirit speaks to you that time and say, don't retaliate. Don't. But you go ahead and you do it anyway. That's why we're never going to have bumper stickers that say, follow me to Grace Bible Church. <laughs> I'm serious. You're going to go out here and act that way. I don't want... You bring a whole load of them in here, all that kind of stuff. Could it be the cross when your elite friends begin to desecrate or make fun of the gospel or when they want you to take part in something that you know the Lord doesn't want you to and you've got to stab up? What happens when you don't? You, you walk away? Yeah, but you feel like, you know what you feel like. Could it be it is it your cross for you when you speak up and, and no one in that elite group, you all of a sudden understand that you've now been ostracized from that group? Is your cross learning to keep your mouth shut? Is it sacrificing your career goals for your children? Is your cross the inconvenience of giving your time to help in the church? Is your cross not, is not through a... a, a it's not... You know, whatever it is, and most, you know, that you don't have to be the most spiritual person in the room? I don't know. What's your cross? Is your cross just being faithful? What, what is it that Jesus has done? Is, 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 it, is it to serve unknown and unappreciated? Is that it? Is it to work and other seemingly others to get the credit? Is that it? Now listen to me. I'm not preaching this morning, this sermon, so that I'm telling you something that you do not know. I'm telling you to remind you of that which we must never forget. 
So Jesus has called us as we came to him as Lord and Savior now to pick up our cross and to walk on and carry it daily with us. That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's saying to us. We live in a time where the cross is not preached. It's not preached because too many have become wise in their own eyes. And the law of society of what Paul warned against in that we have broken away from the simplicity that's in the gospel. The gospel is simple. Living for Christ is simple. We are the ones that make it hard. Congregations that don't want the old time religion, thus they're doing what it says over in 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap unto themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away the truth and turn aside the fables. We don't want to hear those kind of things. Three things that I think we should remember in all this, and one of them is simply this. One, the cross is rejected by other religions. That's why, you know, we, you know, everybody wants to, in the world that we're living in, they, can't we all just get along? Can't we just get, a, get everybody, all the religions together, and have a group hug, and, and we'll all sing come by yawn. Everything will be fine. Is that it? No. Because Jesus basically told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. I want to be accepted. I'm, I'm, I like for people to like me. But I tell you, the first thing that comes in my mind when I meet somebody, do you know my Lord? Do you know my Lord? The cross is rejected by other religions. For instance, in Islam, rejects a sin-bearing Savior. They will, you, you can read, I've read it in the Quran that what it said, not the, 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 yeah, the Quran, that what it says is, it says that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. It says, it says that Judas was the one that was crucified, not Jesus. That's what they say in the Quran. Now they'll admit that Jesus was a great prophet, but he didn't die. They didn't, he didn't die on the cross. Why do they not want him to die on the cross? Because the most distinguishing thing between Christianity and all other religions is what? The resurrection. In order for him to resurrect and conquer death, he had to die first. And they don't want it. So no, they don't do that. They don't, they don't say, the Quran, you know, and in fact, in the Quran, each one shall reap the fruit of their own deeds. In other words, it's all, all you can take, all religions, and you can put them over here and draw a line right down through here. And on the, all, all these other religions have one thing in common. What is it? That I must do certain things in order to get into heaven. And here's Christianity over here saying, it's by grace you're saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. It says, for I'm, for it's, it says that not by works of righteousness, which I've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved me. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we got. He's not, and, and, and I know it grieves his heart that people turn and go to other things. Therefore, there, you know, it's, so therefore that those people, there's no place for them on the cross. There's no place for them on the cross. Because they're trying to get to heaven by the fruit of their own deeds. And to to the the Muslim's mind, it is unthinkable that a major prophet of God should come to such an end as to be crucified. 
but the 22nd book of Psalms, written hundreds of years before, written even before Rome ever decided to start crucifying people. It tells us what Jesus went through on the cross. Hinduism, while accepts the death of Christ, rejects the significance of his death upon the cross. But here's, here's America today. What do you think is the major religion in America today? Is it Buddhism? Is it Hinduism? Is it all these others? Nah. You know what it is? Humanism. Where that man has replaced God on the throne. And guess what? Your children hear this every day if they're in public schools. Humanism. And humanism that is rejected, rejected the cross in all forms, it rejects the cross entirely. For humanism teaches man is good. You know, read the third chapter of the book of Romans. What does it say? There's none good. There's none that seeketh after God. No, not one is what it says. That's what God says. Now, you know, I, I mean, what we want to do, here's what we want to do. We want to come to church and we want to find somebody you know, we're sitting there, and we look around the congregation. We look over. We find some poor old boy over here just hanging on by a thread. And maybe he's the four, and we think we're a six. And we say, you know, well, I'm better than he is. I must be good. Wrong. Because, see, when you move Jesus in beside you, you don't look so hot, do you? Because Jesus is a what? A ten. And God says that in order for you to go to heaven, you got to be a what? A ten. I tell little kids this, and they, they got enough sense to look at you and say, well, that's perfect. I said, that's right. They said, well, there is nobody perfect. I said, that's exactly right, except Jesus. That's why he has to have a substitutory death for you. He's got to die in your place. You know, and so if man, but humanism teaches man is good. So if man is good, there is no need for a Savior and no need for a cross. Man is on the throne of God. But that's what we're hearing today. And what about all the times your children had and they go into a science class and all they ever hear is that, that how we were created. We had a big bang and, you know, who started the big bang? But a big bang, you know, and, and, and now evolution and man, we climbed up the, the thing. We came out of the, the goo and the myrrh and all that kind of stuff. Evolution. What's the purpose of evolution? The purpose of evolution has one thought. What is it? To prove there is no God. And your kids are hearing this eight hours a day, five days a week. This is, listen, and I mean, listen, you want to criticize us for what we try to do in, with our children in Sunday school and children's church, whatever, and have at it. Go ahead. Or either join in and help us. But here's the other thing. Listen, you, there's no way in the world this church can substitute to do everything we need to do for your children. This is why you need to have a family altar. This is why you as a parent needs to teach your kids what they need to know about Jesus Christ and the things of this world. That's why exactly why we have, this is why we're in trouble today, guys. So it's got to take place. And so our children from K, kindergarten all the way to 12th grade are fit a regular dose of humanism. If any wonder they see no need for what Christ did upon the cross. No wonder there's kids turning away from the gospel. A professor at Oxford University in England reminded that Christianity is the worst of all religions. 
He said, because it rests on the doctrine of original sin and by vicarious atonement, which he said, are intellectually incompatible and morally outrageous. Is that not what Paul just finished reading? We just finished reading in Corinthians. Here's the second thing. The cross is marginalized by liberal scholars and liberal preachers. Liberal thinking throughout the last 150 years, the essence of Christianity, they say, well, what we really just need is a Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus is the example. He's the leader of the Liberation Army. The incarnation is defined as part of the relationship of him on the cross. And that man will live forever because of what? Christmas Day. Not because of what took place at Calvary. But the fact of the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, without the atoning death of our Lord Jesus on the cross, then has nothing to say to us. Yes, the, the virgin birth is important. But you cannot have the virgin birth without the atoning crucifixion of Jesus. And you cannot have the atoning crucifixion of Jesus without the virgin birth. They go hand in hand. So if the cross is rejected by other religions and rejected by liberal scholarship, so what can we say of our day? The cross is in danger of being trivialized and many so-called contemporary evangelists, then there's a great need to examine ourselves, and this is what the role does the cross play in our individual lives. To understand that the emphasis should be on the cross as we evangelize. In the back of our mind, should we... It should be on the cross. As we sing and worship, the blood of the cross should be at the core. As we give a sandwich and a cup of water to anyone, the cross should be on our mind. The emphasis which declares the necessity of the cross. An emphasis declares its necessity, its established, its meaning, does not shy away from the offense of the cross. The offense which is clearly stated in the text in Verse 18, when it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. But we have not moved away from that. But to us who are being saved, it tells us simply, it's the power of God. You're in that old song, Oh, the old rugged cross. It's such a beauty to us, what it means to us. But I understand that the offense of the cross that is perfectly stated in verse 18, that the cross is foolishness to the... This is The world doesn't want... The, the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. Now, some would say, but we have moved away from that day of Paul. Wasn't this because in Paul's day people were open to hear it? But no. So Paul was wanting to please those who were listening to him, listening to him. He wanted to please man. He would have spent the day performing miracles all the day. And, get them to, and, and is this not what we've done in the church? We think we got to, in order to get people to come, we got to get an elephant. And if the church down the road's got another elephant, we got to get a bigger elephant. Isn't that it? We've got to give away stuff. We've got to do things. We've got to do other things, get people to come in. Which what he's really saying to us, the most attractive thing to Christianity is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. So if Paul was wanting to please those who were listening to him and wanted to please man, he would have spent the day performing miracles. And then he would have a crowd. Isn't that the truth? 
People ask me all the time. They say, well, how are things going down church? I'm like, well, we're doing, we're doing all right. You know, we're trying. I know what the next question is going to be. Well, how many you got going down there? Hmm? It's like, you know, the devil can get a crowd together anytime he wants to. Amen? It's not, it's not what, how many people we got. You know, that's not it at all. And so, you know, he, if he wanted to, Paul wanted to get a crowd, he, and then, he, then he would have a crowd over his tent, and he would say, have you read my latest book, Your Best Life Now? I know. And they would have sat around and discussed philosophy. It wasn't just because he chose not to give them what they wanted. No, Paul continued to provide them with the one thing that they didn't want. What was that? The cross. And we're living in a world that this world does not want to hear about the cross. So don't be, don't be depressed or don't be discouraged when you got to go talk to somebody and you try to talk to them about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and they don't receive it. Paul had the same problem. Now what possible church growth program is this? You set yourself up with whatever appeals to people. Isn't that what the church, you know, that, this is what, you know, this is why churches have taken down the crosses in there. And, and I even heard of, uh, you know, I won't say who it was, but the churches that, that are saying that, you know, that, well, one of the things we're going to do is um, we're not going to tell people, we're not going to talk about hell. Because we talk about hell, that'll discourage some people. We'll, we'll get them in here and we'll tell them to come to Jesus and get them saved. And then we'll talk to them about going to hell after that. I gotta tell you something. One reason I came to Jesus is to try to avoid hell. Amen. Uh, but but that's it. So so we wanna we wanna sort of mollycoll them in here, and then we'll we'll get them in here because we got to get the numbers up, you know. And, and and you decide if I'm not going to talk about that, but I here's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm not going to talk about. It. I'm going to talk about. That, but I will talk to you about the story of a crucified Christ. Especially if I have a bunch of Jewish people listening. Of course, it's a stumbling block, according to what verse 23 says to them. Then there's the Gentile or Greeks, but wait a minute. They think that preaching the cross is foolishness. So now some may be saying, well, Lee, I think you're exaggerating. Well, then, then the next time you see a group of people, you just bring up the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, you're all sitting around you know, whatever, and you say, well, let's, you know, have you all thought about the cross much? The what? The cross of Jesus. Have you thought about the cross of Jesus Christ much? What? What's he talking about? The cross of Jesus Christ. They'll choke on their olive in their martini. So why do it? Why, why then? Why, why, why do it now? I've, here's 2,000 years. That's why Paul did. Why not do it now? Because verse 26 through 28, for you see you're calling, brethren, that not many wives according to the flesh, not many mighty men are called. I, I always read that verse and I always felt like God had my picture in heaven. And when he would say, you know, there are not many wise people call. I need to point to my picture. I was the last guy in, in, in school. I got, you know, my teachers probably are turning over their grave. When I became a principal, I know some of them turned over in their grave. I was always the guy that tried out their new discipline problem or this program. Uh, so, 
you know, but he says, you know, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty are called, noble called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And these base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen in the things which are not to bring nothing to things that are. So what is revealed here? It is that the power of God is revealed through weak things. Listen to this. Some of you who think you don't have any talent, who think you can't do anything in the church, or sitting waiting, listen to this. That the weak things, what did I just say? I said simply that the weak things, the weak things, God has power seen in weakness. Now you think about how strong that the Apostle Paul was. And yet there came a time that God allowed a thorn in his flesh to come into him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's not by it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And then look at the next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. What's he doing? He's glory in his weakness. Infirmities in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Some of us that are trying to be so strong are taking away the opportunity for God to move into our life and say, let me handle that for you. Did he not say to you, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest? Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burdens is light. Oh, friend, you're missing out on one of the great blessings of all life to see the hand of God move into your life and move in such a way. And his wisdom is revealed in the foolishness of what is preached. Isn't it crazy? That all, God's got, he's got eternity waiting for you. He's got all these blessings for you. He'll pour out his blessings on you. He wants to just simply bless you and bless you and bless you and all that. And here i got to beg you through preaching to come and give your heart to him. That's how crazy it is. The foolishness of preaching. Listen, the cross is a pivotal event of human history. Can you even imagine going into a liberal college of today, going someplace like Duke? I hate Duke. Preach a message. I have come here today, and I would like to talk to you. What was that guy that just hit that last shot? Anyway, uh, talk to you about what your perspective about the cross is. Can you imagine walking into some big uh, liberal forest? I've come here, to guys, to talk to you about the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, but, you know, but here's, here it is. So what, you want to be able to explain to them that they will never understand history Unless we have the Bible, and they will never understand the Bible unless the cross is the very center of God making himself known. Let me say that again. If I want to be able to explain to anybody that they will never understand history unless they have a Bible, and they will never understand the Bible unless the cross is the very center of God making himself known to you. 
See, in your lifetime, there's people in here right now that have been through all kinds of things. Maybe you didn't have a good childhood. Maybe, maybe an accident happened and, and caused you to have to be hospitalized for a long time. Maybe all kinds of car wreck, everything else that happens to you. What's the behind? The only way I can explain any of those things to anybody is through the Word of God. That we're His workmanship created unto good works. That it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That, that whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what I'm saying. Why did those things happen? God's hand moved in your life. And he's, what is he trying to do? He's trying to bring you to himself. Till you'll come to the place like the peak of Job's life. We look at Job and we talk, oh, all those things. What was the peak of his life? It wasn't the peak of Job's life was what? When he came to the last chapter in Job and said, I, I have heard of you, but now I see you with my eyes. That's the difference. God wants you to see him. He wants you to comprehend and understand who he is in your life. How does he do that? By putting a cross in front of you. And you say, oh Lord, I don't know whether I can do this. You know, all the way through the Bible, God does, does this. God sent Samuel to Jesse to choose a king for Israel after Saul had messed up. Jesse has all his seven sons lined up, but the Lord tells Samuel that it is none of them. He looks at Samuel and says, do you have another son? He said, well, yeah, I do. He's down taking care of the sheep. He's sort of ruddy looking. He's really awkward in some ways. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. That was David. Do not look at his appearance or his height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see him as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but look at this. But God looks on what? The heart of a man. Some of you sitting there right now, God's looking at your heart. And he said, man, if you just take a step for me. You just come to me. What we could do. Mm, what we could do. You say, you mean I got to be a preacher? No, you have to be a preacher. Everybody's scared to death God's going to send him to Bangladesh and live in a mud hut or something. No, that ain't what's going to happen. But he may do something in your life, in your business, in your home, whatever, that all of a sudden you're just going to be glorifying God. And people say, why is your home such a way it is? Why is your business so prosperous the way it is? Just because why? Because God then took the first place in it. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Who would think that the majority of problems of our world and human life find their ultimate solution in the execution of an innocent man in A.D. 33? That's some good stuff. That's prime rib. In the preaching of that name of the nations to the world. It all centers around Jesus. And you found Jesus. Oh, what's he going to do in your life today? You found Jesus. What's he going to do? What's, what's the possibility? The possibilities are endless. Who actually believes that? We don't expect people to believe it. We expect people to say to it, oh, you're crazy. We expect people to look at you and say, you're an idiot. By the way, idiot, that's my wife's pet name for me. Uh, for it's obvious to us that such things are is foolishness. Yet everywhere that Paul goes, he does the very same thing. He just got one, he's just got one song. He sings it everywhere he goes. He goes to the synagogue, he labors to show that the Messiah will suffer and he will die. That's what he says. 
He goes and he says, I want to show you from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and die. And then he does, he says that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, that Jesus of history is the Lord of glory. Paul was pointing out something that we need to point out in our preaching. That we tell people that Christ will come in our hearts and live. But first they need to know. He has come into this world. They need to know he's come into this world. That he's lived and he died and he rose again. For that's the gospel. That historic foundation gives to us in which we are able to encourage them to come to him. Life. Your life doesn't make sense until Jesus makes sense in it. That's why Augustus said, St. Augustus said, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in him. Has your heart found rest in him? So Paul goes to Corinth. It's a place like Athens, like points out that they live to sit around being educated and discussing philosophy. So in Corinth, a lot of shops, commercial, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love is there. So here they're sitting around discussing the latest philosophic ideas. Nothing, nothing held back. Sensuality. Acts 17, verse 16, where this is pictured, it says, and they were given over to idols, and it also says in 21, and they spent their time given over to new things. So here walks into this environment. Now I want you to think about this, and I'm almost ready to take my seat. In walks of this environment. You ever been in that environment where you knew that the Lord was <clears throat> doing this to you and you had to walk in with a bunch of people and you knew they were going to look at you like you're from another planet or something? You know? So here they are sitting around all talking about philosophy and things. So what should he do in this situation? So here he walks into that environment, this little bald-headed Jew. What will he say? Here's what he says. He simply says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of this wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's what he said. We can learn a lot from this, especially so, so many of us who feel we're not qualified. Paul says, I'm not going to talk about myself. He said, I'm not going to try to impress you with the ways I speak. Because if I were to do that, you would just be fascinated with my ability, my rhetoric, my capacity of language, my philosophical language. No, I'm not going to do that at all. I'm, I, I, I have to build a crowd. I'm not, here, I'm not here to build a crowd. No, I'm here just to tell you about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. No, I'm just here to tell you about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching the message in such a way that people would cease trusting in everything other than the cross. What are you trusting in today? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Is your faith in the power of God? Do you trust Jesus? Let him turn him loose inside you? I used, I used to read Philippians 4, I mean Philippians, Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, used to, I used to think that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like you had a jug on the inside. And when you walked around, you sort of sloshed when you're sort of full like that. But that's not it. I came to the place I realized that the Holy Spirit inside you is like a rushing river. There's a rushing river that flows through us when we give our heart to Christ. 
And you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to get out of your life. He wants you to, he wants you to come to the place that you have an effect upon other people. He wants you to, 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 to not fold up your, your tent when problems come or other things come, but you trust Him. I got to tell you, ever since that surgeon looked over the bed at me and I thought, well, we go in here and get this over with. You know, you know, it'd be a, you know, just a little bitty deal with this. I thought, well, you know, they're going to go in there and they're going to find out there's nothing right with you. We give you some pills. I got more pills now and I don't know what to do with it. I hate pills. But we give you some few pills and everything will be okay. Now, then the other guy said, well, well, that may not be, what, what may happen when you have to go in and put some stents in. And he said, if I go in there and I find you need stents, I'm going to go ahead and do it then. I said, okay. And when I woke up, what I found is I had this surgeon stand over top of me telling me that I had heart problems. And he had to go and open me up. And he said, we're going to have to put probably a triple bypass in this thing. You know what? From that designation right there, all the way through, God just gave me peace. That everything was okay. Just gave me peace. I heard, oh, uh, who's the guy that's been preaching for years? I can't remember everybody's name. He's dead now. He's been dead 40 years. Jay, Jay Vernon McGee. And Jay Vernon McGee said he was diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer. And he said everybody had left that night. And they were going to have to do surgery the next day. He said, I rolled over in the bed, and I looked at the wall. When I looked at the wall, says I told the Lord, I, he said, Lord, how many people have I visited in this hospital before? And I told him to just trust you and be all right. He said, but now, Lord, it's no longer them that's calling on you. It's me. And he said, all of a sudden, God came into that room. And he said, it so illuminated that room that I felt such a peace like never before. That's what he'll do with you. If you are troubled over so many things in your life right now, worried about things, worried about the economy, worried about your job, worried about kids, all the other kind of things, the Lord is saying to you, he's simply saying to you, where is the cross in your life? Have you, have you died? Because, you know, some of, you know, one thing we got, we got stuff. And because we got stuff, we have to worry about that stuff. But once you realize that God gave you all that stuff and you turned over to him, you don't have to worry about it anymore because it belongs to him now. So I'm just asking you this morning, where's the cross for you? Where's the cross for you who've never come to Jesus? Where is that cross for you if you've never surrendered your life to Christ? And where's the cross... For you who have surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus said, I've given you a cross, now take it up and, and follow me. May I ask, have you? Have you taken it up? We still do this. We still give invitations in our church. I don't know what other churches do. I don't know when. 